Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. Hi, uh, this is Colin. What you're about to hear is a live radio show. I mean, it was live at one o'clock on Monday. And the reason I'm here talking to you right now is one of the things you're going to hear kind of in the middle of the radio show is the alarm system of this building going off. And it's, I think, (laughs) you'll know that it's happening, I think. And a lot of other things kind of misfired and malfunctioned then. And we could cut this out. We could cut the whole thing out. I I prefer not to. I think it's sort of, you know, part of the fun, I guess, or excitement or whatever of live radio. So we're leaving it in, but I didn't want you to panic or be worried or whatever. The whole thing resolved itself. It was... I guess what you might call a false alarm. So, um, so anyway, that's all. Uh, we're doing a, it's an all call show. You can't call in because you're listening on a podcast or at night. Uh, so don't do that either. But uh, here it goes. My favorite shows on TV have 12 minutes of advertising. I can't get behind that kind of time. Eat quickly, drive faster, make more money now. I can't get behind that. My kids say, he said to me, and I'm like, and he's like, and she's like, it's all, he's all, she's all. I can't get behind that kind of like English. That'll be six to eight weeks before delivery. The rising oceans, the warming temperatures. The dying polar bears, no tigers in 50 years. Rising poison in the air and water. I can't understand why the price of gas suddenly rises when oil goes up. But takes months to go down long after oil falls. I can't get behind any of that. I can't get behind the gods who are more vengeful, angry, and dangerous if you don't believe in them. Why can't all these gods just get along? I mean, they're omnipotent and omnipresent. All right. That, of course, is William Shatner and Henry Rollins, produced by Ben Folds. To me, it's like the ultimate song, uh, the ultimate song when you're starting to do a call-in show, right? Because that's sort of the tenor of certain kinds of call-in shows. Uh, And the host starts out like that, complaining about stuff, and then everybody else calls up and starts complaining about stuff. And I'm kind of thinking maybe that might not be the case today, hopefully. I mean, anything can happen when you open the phones, phone lines up, which is also a very strange locution. I mean, we all use it in radio. The phone lines are open. The phone lines are always open. We can't close the phone lines. But what we mean, anyway, is that if you, <laughs> if you dialed the number I'm about to give out, somebody might probably pick up uh, and talk to you. So here's that number, 888-720-WNPR. That's 888 888- Seven two zero nine six seven seven. Betsy Kaplan, senior producer of this show, will be the person who answers the phone. And so, yeah, first of all, uh, my producers are just gassed right now because we, in addition to trying to do a lot of fairly new live shows in this kind of strange week, which I will also describe to you in just a second, uh, in vivid terms, anatomical terms. Uh, but uh, we've been trying to do a bunch of new shows. And, of course, we've launched foolishly, <laughs> we've launched another entire kind of program called Pardon Me, Another Damn Impeachment Show, question mark, which uh, airs as a podcast and runs at noon on Saturdays. But that's like a whole other lift, right? So everybody's really tired is what I'm saying. And, you know, it's like the holidays and people 
want to have some time with their families. And so anyway, I said, okay, well, I'll just take calls and nobody will have to figure out anything. Um, But that's always a little scary around here, too, because I'm not terribly trustworthy and I, I can't be counted upon to make good decisions. And, you know, I mean, there's all those kinds of problems. <laughs> so um, so then today, I mean, I really did have some pretty weighty and troubling stuff that I wanted to talk about. And I'd been kind of making a list of it all on Sunday and thinking, yeah, this is how I should do it. And then, I don't know, I was on social media today. I was even kind of testing the waters a little bit. And a lot of people were saying, look, it's the week between the holidays. Give us a break. We don't want to talk about that stuff. Um, but we wouldn't mind hearing a show that was kind of uplifting. So the topic I'm going to put out today, it's to give you sort of, I mean, this is the most general kind of topic. You can adapt it any way that you want to. But the topic was suggested by John, who I think lives in Woodstock, Connecticut, uh, is what's the best thing you've discovered all year? What's the best thing you've discovered all year? But as you can see, that's a pretty malleable topic. Like one person wrote back Pete Buttigieg. So... (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, uh, the number, once again, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Scott has already uh, called in. He's got a very good topic. We're going to get to him in two seconds. But I think I can even sort of set up Scott's topic a little bit by saying, I discovered online today on the social medias, um, there's a term that some people were using for this week, and they call it the perineum or the perineum week. The idea being that it is a short, pleasant space between two festivals. Um, And um, so, and and another person who kind of touched off this whole conversation had tweeted, her name is Kate Leth, and she's a cartoonist, I guess. She wrote, the days between Christmas and New Year's are liminal spaces, much like airport layovers. They aren't real. Nothing matters. Get high at 10 a.m. Watch all three Lord of the Ringses. You are your own God. And there is that sense. I mean, you, often people like, like me and like everybody here at this radio station, we often wonder, should we do new and good work during this time? <laughs> because nobody's really paying any attention. Nobody's taking anything all that seriously. Um, everybody is doing things as was described in, by Kate Leth. So, like, should we do stuff? Uh, but we are going to do stuff, um, even though it's perineum week. Uh, so, uh, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. My question is, what's the best thing you discovered this year? But, you know, as long as you have something kind of interesting that's not a complete downer, I don't really, you won't be disqualified. Or at least I won't disqualify you. you got to get by Betsy Kaplan and... Who knows what kinds of parameters she's setting in there. All right. So here's Scott from Wallingford to get us going. Hi, Scott. You're on the air. Oh, hello, Colin, and good afternoon. Thanks for calling. Thank you for having me. So what's on your mind? You know, I'm looking around our house up here. We have a nice cabin in Wallingford, and we have our solstice greens up and nicely, nice, subtle decorations. And uh, we just had a family gathering yesterday and no not for nothing but a bunch of useless presents got shuffled around exchanged and um i always my wife and i always wonder why do we have all this hubbub about christmas it doesn't have anything to do with the birth of christ or any spirituality it's just like a big gift fest um surrounded by food whereas we love the solstice which is the you know the turning of the season the longest nights the 
the celebration of spirituality, quiet music, times together, greenery, lights, etc. So my question, after all that rambling, is why don't we focus more on the solstice? I think that'd be a great idea, and I think you know one person to whom we should take our hat off off to whom we should take our hat, I don't know, uh, is Paul Winter, uh, the great jazz yeah. saxophonist who every year does, I, actually does two of them, but I don't think anybody ever goes to the summer one, but uh, yep, he, he does, does. It, He does it at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. And, We've and, been there twice. Yeah, I've been to it, I think probably twice too, and it's an amazing thing. He gathers musicians from all over the world. They really do have uh, a solstice festival with a lot of solstice iconography, uh, yep. and, and so, yeah, it can be done. Uh, and I think probably, I mean, the problem is that, you know, there's a sort of Judeo-Christian footprint, particularly a Christian footprint on, on this country. Um, Connecticut had a state religion until 1818. Uh, so it's hard, I think, to introduce something that seems fairly or unfairly pagan to people. I suppose so. We have different circles that we run and have solstice gatherings, and it's very spiritual. It's very moving. And every year, more and more people are at those services, those ceremonies. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, shoot me an email next year. I'll come to your solstice ceremony if I'm invited or to somebody's solstice cer- ceremony. All right. Once again, a uh, number, I'm going to go to Richard right now, but 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Here we go. Richard in New Haven. Hi, Richard. You're on the air. Hi. How are you? Just fine. Um. Colin, I have a very strong idea, I think. All right. I go in for ideas somewhat. <laughs> and um, anyway, it's mainly about Cayune. Mm-hmm. But it's about uh, the whole lot of you. Uh, you know, we hear one end of the conversation. We hear you guys talking to other people. But I want to hear about you. I want to hear about your background, etc., etc., etc. You mean when you say uh, you, you mean all the people here at the station, all the people who work on right. the shows and that's stuff right. like that. Yeah, that's right. Particularly my, my favorite girl. All right. Well, your favorite girl's right here. She's running the board. Kion uh, yep. is here right now. Um, I think I'm allowed to say that Kion's working these days on a podcast for the future. Can I say that? The for the future. At some point, there's going to be a. She's going to have her own podcast. Well, I, I just I just good, said it. Yeah. Good. But here, here, she'll talk to you oh, directly. Sure. Here she is. Oh hi. This is weird. I'm at the board oh, and I'm talking Kion. to you. Kion <laughs> is how you say it. Thanks for the love. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I uh, very much want to hear about your your background and your life, and uh, you know. It's well, we only have yeah, four, <laughs> we only have forty nine minutes. That would take a really long time, but right. thank you for the shout out. I'm going to be starting a new podcast with the radio station, uh, talking about conversations with people who have been through singular experiences, and more specifically, experiences that may be difficult to talk about, because I love uncomfortable conversations and difficult conversations. So we're beginning the process of that right now, and then we'll uh, hopefully have it for you in the next couple months. All right. So exciting news coming down the pike here. Uh, there will be a Kion Wolf podcast. I'll just quickly say also to his question, to Richard's question, um, one thing that we tried to do a while back, we used to have this episode that I think we 
did once a month called The Process, where we would actually try to explain a little bit to you about who we were and what we did uh, and why we did it and stuff like that. And after a while... After a while, I started to think it was a little bit too self-referential, although Richard is here basically endorsing self-reference. So, you know, I don't know what else to say, although if you really want to get a sense of who everybody is who works on this program or like the immediate producers who work on this program, I would recommend the episode we did about a month and a half, two months ago. I don't know. It's like life in a Turkish prison. I have no idea uh, how much time has passed. We did a show that was, that was the Not About a Tapir show. I think it was, t- it, was t- it was subtitled Department of Bad Ideas, the Not About a Tapir show. So because on that show, at least the actual you know episode producers – talked in the way that they kind of do talk. And I mean, one thing that has been talked about here at the station, particularly under our current leadership, uh, is that we might on occasion even put our our staff meeting for this show anyway on um, on a streaming thing where you could watch it. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm worried that that might inhibit how people talk at those meetings. Uh, I think uh, if you could hear how people talk about these things, uh, talk at these meetings, you would be entertained. All right, I'm going to take a call from John, and then we do have a special guest because it turned out that Betsy Kaplan had one topic that she really did feel should be discussed here. We've got some a few open lines and a few people waiting, and I will try to get to as many of them as I can. Here's John. This was actually your idea, I believe. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I should apologize yet, but I just thought uh, <laughs> it remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, so... So what I discovered this year, and I think I've been poking you on social media about doing something on this, is much more than I'd ever been into it before, I've really gotten into um, metal music. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just hair metal. I mean the really darker edges of it and all the permutations of it. It is such a broad category of music. And it, it you know, it's so accepting of such a wide range of um, approaches. It's really an amazing thing. And I know, I think you're a fan of the Mountain Goats. Yeah, right? to a certain degree, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, John writes for, um, I think he was Kerrang! magazine he wrote for, maybe another one. I mean, he's deeply a metalhead as well. He's got a, um, you know, a rather famous song uh, that is, that's kind of celebrating what metal is about and the people involved in it. And a lot of times, these are folks who have really kind of stared down the real darkness that's out there. And I mean... This has been a year for staring down some darkness. I mean, this is true. I know so, for me personally, but in a lot of ways, and and they come out with something incredibly creative, and and it may not be beautiful to everyone, mm-hmm. but their approach to it is something, um, you know, it's, it's a creation, and it's it's a wonderful thing. And I would really suggest people kind of dig a little bit deeper into what it's about, and not take it as just you know Motley Crue and hair, and or the darker edges of people burning churches in Finland or something. It's, there's, there's an amazing amount of musicianship and um, creativity there for people to look into. All right. Well, you could be, first, a couple of things. First of all, you could easily be channeling my son, who frequently evangelizes um, with me about this. Uh, and second of all, if you were to name one group, one act, that a person who was maybe listening to you and was somewhat skeptical about what you were saying, one act that you would want them to listen to, one band, who, who would it be? You know what? We're an MP. We're an NPR station. I'm not sure there's, there's much I can I can I could give you for one band. Okay. Um, let me give you just a couple. Okay. Um, uh, there's a group called Sun or Sun O that I think are really interesting. If people are into Paul Winter and sort of the old approach to 
kind of new age and droney stuff. Yeah, so they'd be like, is it T-H-U-N, Thun, like that? Sun, Sun. Oh, Sun, S-U-N. And then it is three parentheses and an O. And um, they actually played at the College Street Music Hall a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, very atmospheric drones, um, a large sound. If you want to just kind of drift away, they're a band that I think is interesting. Another okay. group that I like, and, and it's not really a group, but they haven't, and they haven't put anything out for a while, is called Zaster, um, X-A-S-T-E-R. Mm. It's actually one person uh, in his bedroom creating a maelstrom of, um, of just kind of letting out his emotions and his anger. Uh, but it's amazing stuff. And then look at Kerrang! Magazine. They have a top 40, a whole range of different kinds, from most mostly mainstream to out-there stuff. Um, right. They have a top 40 for this year that's interesting. All right, John, thanks for the, all of that. I don't know how we're going to do a metal show that our audience won't immediately turn off, but we will discuss. Didn't we do a Christian metal show? We did a Christian metal show, right? Um, but we haven't actually done a metal show. Well, speaking of the mountain goats, there's like this whole idea, and I see it more this year on the social medias than I've seen it in past years, that there's just this wonderful symbiotic cycle that involves goats and your dead Christmas tree. Um, and so we wondered about that. There's this whole idea that the goats will eat all of the Christmas trees, <laughs> which when you think about it, there probably are not enough goats to do that. But but do goats eat any Christmas trees? Well, we are about to find out for, uh, about that. We have a guest here. This is something Betsy Kaplan was fairly insistent that we deal with. Uh, this is Nicole Rivard, co-owner uh, of Meadowview Farm in Harwinton. Uh, they have, I believe, Nigerian dwarf goats, uh, and she is here to address this whole Christmas tree question. Hi, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you for having me on. Greatly appreciate it. So, first of all, true or false, goats eat Christmas trees? <laughs> true. True. <laughs> With some some certain guidelines, but definitely true. Right, like <laughs> a little bit of salt, for example, they would want um, maybe a nice... Uh, bechamel sauce or something so exactly yeah to lay it out for them right now as long you know it's it's basically as long as the tree is natural meaning you know they haven't been sprayed with fire retardants chemicals um things of those natures that could potentially harm the animals of course and honestly any animal um they are absolutely a wonderful treat for their goats and they love them this time of year but I think there is a question like a flock of goats could eat what? Maybe one or two Christmas trees. I mean, they're not going to eat everybody's Christmas trees. Oh, you know, but they do. Depending on how big your herd is, our herd right now, we've gone from two goats in May to already 10, and I have three pregnant does. Mm-hmm. So our herd will be growing in size tremendously, but there are herds out there that have 50, 60 goats in them. Yeah. So a multitude of trees would definitely be worth it. The, the goats can devour a tree in the matter of 30, 40 minutes, depending on how many goats are snacking on it. I bet that's Um, fun to watch. It is. And there's videos. We have videos on our page. And uh, we were recently um, on WFSB Channel 3 News. um, And so there's video of them munching away on it. It's actually when the trees are given to them, this time of year, the ground freezes. Mm -hmm. And they are natural forgers. Um, They do forge particularly, though. Most people think that goats just eat anything. Goats are actually very particular in their forging and grazing habits. And they actually are stubborn and they will focus on things that are high in nutrients. So they'll avoid actually mostly grass and actually eat the weeds and the bushes and the leaves and barks of trees, which contain all these natural nutrients and minerals that their body craves. So in the wintertime, when our ground freezes, 
they don't have those capabilities. So, uh, you know, as farmers, we do provide them minerals that you can get at your local feed store mm. to try and help them over the course of these winter months and provide them those nutrients that they may be lacking. However, the Christmas tree is a great source of that. The pine needles are full of vitamin C and actually help with worm control in the goats. Um, worms are something that's very popular in goats, even when they do graze, um, mud, mud in particular that festers bacteria and worms um, is very detrimental to the goats and can decline their health quite rapidly. So not only are they nutritious, but the money that you spend on your tree, not only are you recycling it, but you're almost you know, adding value to your money that you spent. No, oh, that's a great argument for it. And so I guess the thing that we would say then is if you're wondering what to do with your Christmas tree and just leaving it out by the curb for whoever uh, to pick up doesn't really seem ecologically that solid, you might want to call first to your local goat farmer and see. Absolutely. See if, Absolutely. They, see if they have enough. Small farmers. Yeah. Yeah. There's tons of, for instance, we actually ha- were inundated. We actually received 80 trees, which was <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> um, we actually had a truckload dropped off. Um, from a local tree farmer um, as well. And so that was great. And there are a multitude of local farmers in our community, in Harlington especially. I could name them my head like three or four more that would be welcome to opening trees. And they're on Facebook showing that. Um, and, and like I said, it's just great nutrients for them, getting them through those winter months, especially when our kidding season comes, which is in spring and we have babies. Mm. Um, you know, the goats are just amazing animals. Just truly, truly amazing, especially the Nigerian dwarf goat. Right. Well, I want you to know it's always kidding season here on the Colin McEnroe Show, and I want to thank you also for being uh, a guest here today. And as a prize for being a guest, I'm going to give you a used Christmas tree. So thanks for... Uh, no, no, I won't give you any more Christmas tree. You already have enough. So that's, It'll be 81. <laughs> 81. Nicole Rivard is co-owner with her husband, Brian, of Meadowview Farm in Harwinton. Don't bring her your damn Christmas tree. She's got 80. Uh, but uh, she does have goats, and thanks for talking to us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. I'm going to take one more call because it just looks... It's too inviting. <laughs> uh, it's too inviting. So let me just tell you, let me just, this is what's called resetting um, in radio. First of all, I'm Colin McEnroe. This is Connecticut Public Radio. What we're doing today is we're just taking calls. And for the most part, we're not taking calls on heavy duty news items, troubling things, things to, there's plenty of those. And we have shows planned on which we will address those things. Uh, and we will, you know us, we'll do, we'll do a lot of serious and substantive stuff. But I just decided, based on advice I was getting on social media today, that maybe people didn't want that today. So we're kind of inviting you to call in with your discoveries, whatever kind of thing you discovered in the world or perhaps about yourself. 888-720-WNPR. The best thing you discovered all year. 888-720-9677. Robert's call may not fall exactly into that category, but then we're not fussy about categories anyway. So, Robert, from West Hartford, you have the floor. Mr. McGraw, thank you for taking my call. I have an ethical question for you. Okay. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you just fine. There's a show, the Cosmic Eye Ash Qatar Command Radio on 88.1 in Middletown. And I was listening uh, one morning, and it was just too much for me to take. So they were taking calls, and I said something ridiculous, Tom Cruise and Rainbows. And they called me a jerk, and I kind of ruined it, and they went right to trance music and had to recover. But was I being a jerk? Was that an ethical, ethical thing to do? They're broadcasting over the airwaves, and I thought it was ridiculous. Right. Let me just say, first of all, that I know the show of which you speak. It's on Sundays, right? That's when it's on. Um, 
in the morning. In the Sunday morning, like late morning, like 11 o'clock or so. Um, and the reason I know when it's on is that I used to get out of church. I used to go to church in Glastonbury, and I'd get out of church, and I'd turn on the radio, and I don't know, whatever we had at that time. Maybe it was like a rerun of Wait, Wait or something. Whatever it was, I didn't want to listen to it. Uh, and so I'd look around, and I'd always wind up listening to that show. And, like, they're pretty serious about that stuff. It has something to do with space aliens really having been here and done stuff and built stuff, I think, as I recall. It's something like that, right? There's a golden spaceship, and there's Commander Ashkatar, who's the uh, MC for the yeah. festivity. I always kind of enjoyed that, you know? I mean, they're not messing around, as far as I can tell. They really are pretty serious about it, which I probably wouldn't be. I don't know. I mean, I think from their point of view, you were a jerk, because they're trying to do one thing, and you're trying to do another thing. On the other hand, I do sort of feel like if you have a show with that name, and you have the phone lines available... You should be you. You might want to harbor a little sense of playfulness. You might want to. I mean, I, I my recollection is they get calls from all over the country, and people are talking about dolphins and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I, I enjoyed it because no matter what anybody called up about, except Robert, apparently you. But usually, if somebody called up and said that dolphins are actually you know knitting uh, underwater you know, holding knitting needles with their little flippers and stuff, they would just go, that is so great. That is so amazing. I always suspected something like that. So I always, I liked the show for that reason, that there was like no such thing as a bad idea, apparently until you called up. I thought it was a little duplicitous. They were talking about time travel and, you know, spaceship rides and, but I don't know. They were pretty distraught. So I thank you for helping clear my conscience on this. All right. Yeah. That's the only task that I pr- provide, the only uh, service that I provide today, being Mr. Clean for Robert's conscience, uh, scrubbing away that grime. I feel like my life has not been lived in vain here on this day. All right. So we've got at least one more call here on the board. Let me go out the number again. It's 888-720-WNPR. We're, we're for the most part... I mean, it's not as though we won't take a serious call. I think we're about to get a serious call right here. But we we sort of decided that, you know, there are a lot of troubles in the world and a lot of things that people are genuinely upset about. And we are going to do continue to do shows about those things. But that here in this sort of week between the two festivals, this perineum week, that, you know, you might like to hear about other things. So, 888-720-9677. Oh, I should say something about this song. So, Neil Innes, who was a British comedian slash musician, I think more the former than the latter, uh, died this week. Uh, He was best known for collaborating with Eric Idle on a sort of Beatles parody called The Ruddles and for being the closest thing to a legitimate musician at something called the Bonzo Dog Band or sometimes the Bonzo Duda Dog Band. So... Here they are with uh, one of their songs. Hi, this is Colin. Um, I'm recording this at a different time. I'm just warning you again. You're going to hear the building alarm system go off. I think it's in this segment right here. So don't be panicked. That all happened at sort of 1 to 2 o'clock earlier today. It's all fine. Don't worry. 
So a few things to mention here. Uh, I might mention them a couple of times, but Kion Wolf, as you may have gleaned from her exchange there with Richard from New Haven, Kion Wolf is uh, in the control room running the board and making the show sound good. Betsy Kaplan, our senior producer, is in there screening calls. So if you call 888-720-WNPR, you will have a brush with greatness. Uh, 888-720-9677. The person who answers your call will be our senior producer, Betsy Kaplan. I see people calling up right now. Um, let me quickly mention a couple of other things. First of all, tomorrow's show is a show that Wolfie and I recorded, um, I don't know when, <laughs> December 18th. I do. It was December 18th. So um, it's the yearly um, jazz show. We, what we do is we get together um, three of our friends, um, Gene Seymour, uh, Jen Allen, and uh, Noah Behrman. Two of them are musicians. One of them is a critic. And it really isn't the best jazz, like the best jazz top 10 kind of things. It's they pick they each picked three albums that came out this year and specific cuts from the album that really spoke to them. Uh, and I think some of the choices this year are really good. I mean, they've uh, whoa, just an alarm went off. What? <laughs> what else could happen? There's an alarm going off in the studio. Uh, somebody needs to go investigate that. I think I have to stay on the air no matter what. Everybody else can flee. Uh, so, um, so anyway, that's tomorrow. <laughs> if I'm... St- even if I'm not still alive. Um, oh, here comes Katie Tularski, the big boss. She'll be the one making the decisions about whether we evacuate or not. But you you can hear her. You could probably hear in the background. <laughs> well, you're, you're the boss. Go investigate this. Call somebody. Find out whether we really have to leave or not. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that's happening. I mean, several things are happening. Uh, There's an alarm going off, and we're doing our jazz show tomorrow. Those are both um, things that are happening. So (laughs) I know I'm having a hard time concentrating, but I kind of want to see if I can rise to the challenge. I also want to say that one of the things that I discovered this year, one of the things that I decided to focus a little bit on was the music of Laura Nero, because, in fact, on January 29th at the Watkinson School, we're going to do a kind of an evening that's a tribute to the life and music of Laura Nero, which did not include this particular melody you're hearing in the background. Uh, And um, we're going to turn it into a radio show, as we typically do. So what should we do? Should we go to a break? What do you think we should do? No, no, no. Keep going. No, just keep going? Should I take a call? I'm going to take Lori's call, even though there are warnings of my imminent demise in the background. Um, Here's here's Lori from Gail's Ferry. Hi, Lori. You may be the last person I talk to in my life, but so make it a good phone call, okay? <laughs> All right, so you're on the air, Lori. Go ahead. Oh, well, have we actually... Uh, let me... Maybe she's afraid. All right. I don't think you can be actually endangered. What, did Katie just tell you something more? All right. Um, <laughs> All right. I am going to try to figure out uh, what call to talk to. All right. I'll take Hank's call. I mean, I kind of asked for this, didn't I? All right. So here's Hank calling from North Haven. Hi, you're on the air. You know, it's possible that the phones don't work when our emergency things are going off. It's like another thing that's happening here. All right. So I'm not going to take Hank's call or Lori's call. We'll reset when all that stuff is happening. Meanwhile, I will tell you a little bit more uh, about things that I discovered this year. Maybe, Wolfie, should we just trigger a break here so we can kind of regroup and figure out, see if that works anyway. Let's play a break. We'll come back and we'll see what's going on. Yes, technically I am. They're turning kids into slaves. Just to make cheaper sneakers But what's the real cost? Cause the 
sneakers don't seem that much cheaper. Why we still paying so much for sneakers when you got them made by little slave kids? What are you over here? At the end of your life, you're lucky if you die. Sometimes I wonder why we even try. Saw a man lying on the street half dead With knives and forks sticking out of his leg And he said Okay, we're back. We're all still alive. Don't worry. We did lose all the calls that we had on the board because I, I don't know whether it was a result of this weird alarm going off, but somehow or other the server kicked out. And uh, I feel like this is one of those sort of stress tests. Like, what can you handle? You know, can you can you maintain your comfort level uh, even in the midst of? And I should say that I worked at WTIC for a really long time, where this is like that. This would be an average day there. I actually, I'll quickly tell you a story, and then I'm going to go to Cassidy. There was a day, and it was not too long after 9-11, when uh, I was working at WTIC, and, you know, there was a time of high vigilance, and people were kind of nervous about stuff. And I guess there was, like, an unattended parcel somewhere in the building. And so alarms went off. They evacuated the building. I see fire trucks and police vehicles coming up. I'm on the air like this. And the, sta- the operations manager comes in and goes, I don't think this is anything. Just stay on the air. I'm looking at everybody else who works in this building is in the parking lot. <laughs> but So I sort of understood where I was in the food chain at that point. All right. So let's go back to the phones here. See, this is going to be so easy. People are calling up again. Once again, the number 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Cassidy from New Haven. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, thanks for taking my call. What's on your mind? Uh- well, so the thing I've discovered this year is I have a nephew who turns two in October. He's actually my twin sister's son. Um, and they're just starting to potty train him as of yesterday. And I've discovered how, how much he understands everything. And you can bribe him to do about everything you want, including telling you he loves you. Um, so why is it so hard to get a two-year-old to be potty trained? And why is it that all these generations are gathered together for Christmas and none of them can seem to remember how they got us potty trained back when we were little, two years old? Nor can you remember how you got potty trained, although it's there ingrained in some part of you, right? So one of the things that Freud thought, and I'm now about to improperly paraphrase Freud, but that ultimately, <laughs> you know, it's... It's one the beginnings of our ideas of a reward system, right? So when you were little and you made a poop and everybody would get really excited, right? And they would go, yes, that's so good. Cassidy, that's great. You know, look, at, look what you did. You did this. It's so great. And so you were probably thinking, you know what? I can put this stuff out all the time. You know, it's going to be if, – if people are going to get that excited – about this. I can do it, you know, and I mean, not at a moment's notice. I need a little buildup, but I can do it. Um, and, and so that's one of the reasons that Freud thought that money ultimately became a substitute system for excrement, that, you know, we get excited about money the same way. It's sort of the way the world, you know, rewards us after. I, there's a certain point where, of course, nobody cares that you pooped in, in the appropriate place, right? You know, you, you get to be 13, 14 years old. People aren't going, that's, <laughs> that was really good. You did it in the toilet. That's great. Um, so, so then you need something else. You need money. So I, I don't know. I don't know why. Yeah. You're sort of saying, why do we start over? Why do we start from square one? Every time a kid needs to be potty trained, it's like, 
everybody around and has to figure that out as if for the first time. Yeah, there are books and a whole industry, it seems like, that's been built up around teaching kids to potty train. But we've been doing this for uh, centuries, millennia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, of course, <laughs> the other thing is, you know, I mean, there's a whole industry of kind of new theories about everything, right? So, you know, whether it's breastfeeding or potty training or, you know, any other aspect of child rearing, there has to be a new wave of books and videos and stuff like that. So that may be part of it. But, you know, it's an excellent question, which I have not satisfactorily answered, but it's been an interesting thing to think about. So I thank you for calling up with it. Well, thanks for your thoughts on it. Okay, bye-bye now. <laughs> All right, so before we were so rudely interrupted, I think I was trying to talk to Lori from Gales Ferry and then Hank from Woodbridge. And so let's, uh, and I think they're both back now. So we're going to start again with Lori. Hi, you're on the air. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, so um, uh, it, I don't want to burst the happy Thing, but um, in this uh, perineum talk show, uh, I just wanted to mention one of my um, uh, favorite things that I discovered in the last year was uh, is uh, the Lincoln Project, which I'm told um, by your uh, coworkers that you know something about, and so I'm curious what you think about it because the cynical part of me is like, yeah, maybe this is a joke. So. Um, you, I've heard that um, that you've been talking about it over right. there. Um, first of all, don't ever burst anybody's perineum bubble. I mean, that's, that's a trip to the ER right there. <laughs> uh, but... Um, yeah, so the Lincoln Project is a bunch of essentially, you know, what are now kind of dismissed by the president himself as never Trumpers. They're Republicans. George Conway is probably the most prominent and visible of them because of his peculiar marriage and what he does on social media. So, and they are spearheading kind of a campaign against Donald Trump. And they had a big uh, full page ad in the New York Times. Do you think it's got, you know, any traction? Do you think, I, I guess my question is, it, you know, do we can we have something to hope for? <laughs> That's are there are there Republicans out there who are, you know, actually, um, you know, waking up? It seems. Uh, yeah, I think there are some. The question is how many. So, thanks for that call. Thanks for calling in. And I'm going to go now to Hank in Woodbridge. Hi, Hank. You're. Oops. Hi, Hank. You're on the air. Hi there, Colin. How are you? Well, it's been kind of a crazy day, but I'm basically okay. Oh, good. Well, so you described the the time between uh, Christmas and New Year's as the perineum. Right. I mean, I have to say, it's not an original idea with me. I picked it up from somebody else, but yeah. Well, here's the thing that that it it struck my ears very, very differently. I'm a gynecologist, and and the perineum is not just between Christmas and New Year's, but rather an anatomical site. Right. So it's what, it's what we call a metaphor. Uh, okay, well, we don't call it a metaphor. We call it an actual um, anatomical site on the body. Right, so you get, you get the little jump that's being made here, right? Yeah, no, I understand that part, but it, again, it just struck me as being somewhat um, an unusual description of of a time period. Right, but aren't, aren't unusual descriptions among the best descriptions? <laughs> it, 
indeed they are. All right. So, yeah, so you get the metaphor, right? It's sort of between two things. It's between New Year's <laughs> and Christmas. No, uh, yes, I, I understood it completely. All right. Well, thanks for your call. I mean, I, I thought maybe he was going to correct us somehow. Because actually there was some somebody on social media who was making a slight correction to that. Which I'm not going to go into. But um, anyway, our number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. And we are mostly taking calls of a kind of positive nature, uh, things that you discovered this year, things that the best thing you discovered this year. Uh, all right. So we're going to go to Gary and Wallingford. Kevin. In Amsterdam, I will get to you, I promise. Uh, Kevin, uh, I mean, Gary, you're on the air. Hey, how you doing, Colin? Doing okay. What I found out this year is that our healthcare workers in Connecticut are incredible. I was um, really sick. I died. <laughs> and then I was in the hospital for a long, long time. And every person I dealt with, from the people that clean the floor to the best surgeons, are incredible. Their compassion, their goodness, it's just amazing. Everyone. It is interesting when you're sort of in that situation, a whole bunch of people that you took for granted become incredibly important to you. Yeah, you rely on the most basic things in your life that people have to do for you. It's kind of embarrassing, but you know what? Everyone did it, and I'm doing all these follow-up visits, and I've yet to find a bad one out there. So God bless those guys and girls. So let me ask you this, because we've actually done shows about near-death experiences. I've written articles about near-death experiences. You clearly had one. Do you have memories from it? Everything, you know, like the Sopranos last episode, it just went black. It just went black, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. Eight, eight minutes later, you were back. Well, I didn't know that. I, when I woke up, I right. didn't know what happened. Right. Well, that's really, well, first of all, congratulations on living through it. Oh, it's great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, and yeah, I think that's a very good thing to shout out and to memorialize. So. Yeah, just so those people know, they're not, they're not forgotten out there. <laughs> right. Okay, thanks very much for calling. Uh, here's So we're kind of maybe going to veer away from the basic premise of the show for just a second, but that's okay. Here's Kevin in Amston. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. It's Kevin. Um, the thing that I discovered to my, uh, to my shock and surprise was that um, the Trump administration didn't do as many bad things as I thought they would, and I was... Um, I think that the executive departments ended up doing more good things over the last couple of years than I would have imagined. And, um, I mean, I think the Department of Defense in general is doing the right thing. Once in a while, EPA is still able to do the right thing despite all their attempts to shut it down. Um, the uh, It seems like the core of the executive department is still doing the right thing. Thank goodness. Well, there are, uh, if you'd made this call at the beginning of the show, we probably would have had a very different show with a lot of people calling up to disagree with you. But I think it's important that people who feel the way that you do get your voices on the air on stations like this where maybe that's not the dominant opinion. I mean, there's, See, I could have done an entire show, one of the things I thought about doing an entire show about. There's a really fascinating conversation going on that's really led by a guy who's been on our show a lot, a guy named Jay Rosen, who's a press critic, who who thinks that one of the mistakes we make is thinking that this is a symmetrical situation where we really should sort of put both sides on and give equal weight to both sides. And he's been saying for years now, but also saying in particular over this past weekend partly apropos of a show, a Meet the Press show that um, that Chuck Todd did, that 
it's a mistake to do that, that if you sort of go, well, the other side does it too, or both sides do it, or whatever, you're, you're not really ascribing the right value set. So, um, but that's another show, I think. That's like uh, a whole different kind of show with different guests and call-ins and stuff. But anyway, um, no harm done. Here's Joel in Old Greenwich. Hi, Joel, you're on the air. Hey, Colin, how are you? Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Yeah, so I'm a beekeeper, um, among other things. But uh, the thing that I started to see this year, which we uh, as beekeepers know, and I, I know that your show knows because you talk about it a lot, mm-hmm. are the desperation to have bees so we can have food. Right. Because bees just take care of about 75% of the food and pollinate it so we can have it and eat it and everything. And I started to notice uh, a lot of people are actually starting to have the heads up. A lot of people are trying to save the bees. I have people in uh, Connecticut here that allow me to be their beekeeper, and they actually pay for the hives, pay for the bees, because they desperately want to pollinate. They want to pollinate their garden. They want to pollinate their neighborhood, their city, their town, and help the bee cause, you know, to help bees. And there's also a woman I'm speaking to that is um, involved with a pollinator highway. I don't know if you've heard about this. No, I don't think so. What they're trying to do is uh, alert everybody to start building more flower beds, planting more trees that have pollinate, pollinate, oh, sorry, pollination in them. Um, so the bees can have a clear, free zone to pollinate up and down the East Coast and all across America. Because I don't know if you know this, but a lot of America, because we build so much or grow so much food, um, corn, wheat, things like that, it's great to have and great to need and we have to do it, but it's doesn't have pollination. So it's a, poll- a beekeeper's wasteland. Right. So, so the more we... Yeah, I think it's a great point point that you're making, which is that, I mean, look, if you're worried about this, the probably the biggest thing you could do, as you're suggesting, is keep bees, you know, uh, yeah. if, if you've got it in you to do that and you think you can do it. You know, the other things that you can do are plant these bee attractive things. And we have done some shows about this, and we've also, yeah. in particular, focused on wild bees as well. Um, sure. And but you know plant flowers that they like places that they can pollinate and feed at and stuff like that and then I think the other thing that you can do it's a small thing but one thing that I do a lot is I buy local honey from beekeepers like you uh, and I often give it as gifts at this time of the year too so yeah I mean everybody can do something anyway not everybody can be a beekeeper yeah it, it is time consuming it's something I do on the side side I've gone from three hives this year I'll go up to nineteen. So it is, it is a lot to handle, but it is a labor of love. In fact, I'm sitting in my basement now completely surrounded by um, hives and frames and honey and stickiness. But the honey that comes out is the best honey in the world because it's nature's honey. It's not imported honey, and it's not mixed in with anything else. So whenever you get honey, everybody should buy it from a local beekeeper. Absolutely. I had some Connecticut honey this morning. I have it most mornings. All right. Uh, we only have, boy, we've got some great calls here, and only we only have time for one. But Doug's kind of goes with Joel, so I'm going to do that. Here's uh, Doug from Guilford. Hi, Doug. Hey, Colin. How are you today? Good. How are you? Fantastic. Fellow Trinity grad from years gone by. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm thankful to learn about team trees. And on the environmental side, we're, we're with bees, and let's go to trees. Yeah. Uh, team trees is a, a site we found this fall and decided to, instead of giving our children gifts, uh, we donated a thousand trees in their name for their future, uh, which are being planted in a bucket tree in the Amazon rainforest. Well, that's really cool. It's called Team Trees. 
T-E-A-M and T-R-E-E-S. Yeah, so uh, look it up. It's a great site and a uh, great cause. There's a way to, make, way to make a difference. Thanks for that call. I think I'm going to try to squeeze Andrew on here. Andrew, unfortunately, we have like maybe a minute and a half, but it's all yours. All right. Yeah, so I'll make it quick. I just wanted to mention um, I'm just graduating college now, and I would, I'm graduating in computer science, and I worked in an AI robotics um, independent study with a lot of um, people from a, a bunch of different diversities. And I just wanted to say that I'm really excited. My discovery, I should say, is that um, I'm really excited to see where we're going to go in the future as this new generation moves in, as far as um, all the technologies we have. And, and even going to the beekeeping that we just heard, my roommate uh, beekeeps with his family. He loves to do it. And he's a, actually a biology major. So he really wants to try and keep that alive you know and and i'm just really excited for that and i discovered a lot about a lot of people so even though i could imagine you being an andrew yang voter um you're not necessarily (laughs) seeing ai as entirely pernicious or about to make so many jobs and humans obsolete well well so i had an internship over the summer and i'm not really at liberty to disclose a lot of the information but i i would argue in the opposite uh well we will definitely see um, a lot of that moving in i would say within the next 10 years or so Mm -hmm. all right so maybe maybe oh sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i thought you were done uh anyway we're done so it doesn't really matter so first of all thanks to everybody this is a little uh, a windshield wiper blade song for you, those of you driving around in the rain right now uh, by Haywood Banks. But thanks to everybody who called in today. Thanks to the team here, Kion Wolf in the control room on the board, Betsy Kaplan, our senior producer, who's taking phone calls today. And thanks for t- participating. I mean, there was never a dull moment. I mean, partly because of you callers, partly because the alarm system went off. <sighs> well, anyway, they, Richard said he wanted to know more about behind the scenes. Well, you got to look at behind the scenes. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Listen to the jazz show tomorrow. It's a really good show. You'll learn about a lot of really cool music. I wish that I'd replace my wiper blades. My wiper, wiper, wiper blades. My wiper, wiper, wiper blades. One time on delay. My wiper. Wiper. Wiper blades. I wish that I'd replace my wiper blades.